Right, so we've now got Craig, so we can start the recording. Um, so, Fief, the floor is yours for SIP 181. And again, if you check the GovCall chat, we've got the SIPs listed, the links to the SIPs, and I'll just put it in there one more time. Awesome. Thanks, David. Um, yeah, so SIP 181 uh, for simulated liquidity. Uh, basically, the gist of this SIP is that we're bringing some of the features of other exchanges to synthetics. So, we're like, we're allowing the price to float. Uh, and the way that it's, it's in the implementation, I guess, where some of the details are. Um, so basically, the goal of this SIP is to eliminate some of the risks for, that stakers have faced in the past, while still preserving a lot of the features that people like about synthetics in terms of like getting great price execution and reasonable fees and stuff. Um, so I guess to like give an example of you know the motiv of the motivation for why we would like to have a mechanism like this. Uh, if you consider a, a synth for something that's maybe not uh, super liquid, like REN or something or SREN, um, there you don't want to give somebody a trader, let's say, like uh, infinite amount of order size with no uh, impact on the price, no slippage. Uh, obviously, because if they bought like $100 million uh, of SREN, they could move the price uh, on an exchange, you know, no front running required, uh, just spending like a few million dollars to, to move the price of REN up and down in the spot market. Uh, and then they could generate outsized profits uh, against stakers on synthetics. So that kind of limits, you know, the extent to which we can support a lot of different assets on synthetics. And so what this SIP does is it basically when you come to buy it gives you a quote depending on the size of your order uh, and to make sure that somebody won't like split a large order up into a million pieces uh, it, it's fully path independent so what that means is that like as you buy you're moving the price along a curve so kind of like a uniswap curve it's just a different curve that we're using uh, and then when you sell you move it back down the curve so uh, like a $100 million order would move the price by the same amount as 100 $1 million orders. And then if you spend $100 million buying it and then you spend and then you sell it all, it moves the price back to where it started. So this is what this, this uh, synthetic liquidity curve that, uh, that's alluded to in the SIP. So essentially what this SIP does is it says, we assume some kind of liquidity for a synth and we offer price execution based on that liquidity profile. And what will be up to governance is how to choose the parameters, choose how to parameterize uh, this liquidity curve. And we like it'll likely just be you know in line with all the liquidity available for for that asset. So it would be as if your order is being you know routed through every decentralized or centralized exchange, and that's the price execution you get. Um, another side benefit of this is the impact that it has on front running. So, um, so it, obviously everybody is pretty well aware of this issue, but um, once on synthetics, you know, the price is quoted uh, relative to the Oracle price. So you get a price at whatever the Chainlink Oracle is updating. Uh, and that's good for stakers because they're not subject to like being kind of impermanent loss that you would get on a you know on idle liquidity if you're just passively providing liquidity on Uniswap or something. But it opens up this vector for people to trade ahead of of an Oracle update for for risk-free profit. You know, so if it's about if you know the price is about to move up, you buy and then you close after the price moves. Um, so what this does is by not letting people not letting front runners execute this strategy at like an arbitrary size and scale, uh, they're kind of limited by how much liquidity is available. Um, so normally, like if you see like a you know 10 basis point gap between the real price and the Oracle price, and you think that's something you can exploit, um, this kind of limits you to how much size of an order will move the price by 10 basis points rather than being being able to just execute at any size. So instead of having like $100 million and profiting 10 basis points on it, after the first 10 million, you've moved the price by 10 basis points so that nothing after 10 million is profitable. So this on its own kind of uh, lowers the amount of value that can be extracted by front runners by at least one to two orders of magnitude. Um, 
And that's that's pretty much the summary uh, of this set. Thanks, Sophia. If any questions from the council? Did, did you say that the, the key parameters, are those going to be sort of SS, FCCP type parameters? Is that? Yeah, so if you if you look in the supporting research section of the SIP, like this was pretty extensively researched to make sure that it would be something that would be feasible to configure by SCCP. So yeah, so the, there's two parameters for each synth is uh, like uh, a liquidity and like a open interest rate limit parameter. So there's two parameters that you can look at in the SIP and those are set by SCCP specific to each synth. And the research that was done kind of showed that these evolved slowly enough that it would be safe to update them on the order of weeks to month rather than something that had to be constantly updated at a high frequency. Okay. Just out of curiosity, that, that pricing function looks pretty complex. Like, do you anticipate that being implemented on-chain or some kind of simplified function will be actually used? Yeah. So. The math to get there is would be complicated to do on chain, but because we're doing like all the math beforehand and then just giving it a final formula, the only thing that's like a little bit complex is the logarithms. Um, but uh, Anton had written this whole uh, math library for Lyra that's open source now, and we're using that. Uh, and we're, we're, we'll be using the functions from that, so it, it's it's not too bad to do it on chain, especially on layer two. Oh, nice. This is. Quite brilliant. And, and just to clarify the execution, uh, this, is, this would be only on L2 or, yeah, does it assume no fee reclamation or, or, yeah, just could you clarify that? Yeah, so I'm thinking it'll just be on L2 because the primary benefits that it, we can roll it out on L1 after. Um, I think the initial, and anybody's welcome to, to jump in if, if they have any other ideas, but my thinking is that most of the, place where you get the most benefit from this is for the less liquid sense. And those will all be on L2. And so it makes sense to just have it on L2. Um, but I, we can revisit after, you know, because there's more moving parts on L1. We still we have SIP120 coming soon, and there's fee reclamation that kind of make it a little bit more challenging to factor in. Um, I think we'll just see how it goes on L2, and we can put it on L1 if there's demand for it after, and if, if there's a clear need and demand. Cool. And, and one, maybe uh, a new question. Um, so the, the slippage would be determined when you submit the transaction, provided the transaction takes an hour or more. Yeah, what, would that still be the, the price the user gets or, or, or at the, the, the moment the transaction is mined? Because you said it's off-chain, right? Yeah, sorry, you broke up a little bit at the beginning. I don't know if it's me or you. Could you repeat the first half again? So the, the question is, uh, does the, is the price determined you know, before the transaction is submitted or, or on-chain? Uh, Liam just jumped up on stage. He may have an answer for that. Liam, did you want to chime in on that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, the, so the question was like whether it's computed on-chain or off-chain, was it? Yeah, uh, like if, if when you submit the transaction, you I, I would assume the UI gives you kind of the slippage would be five percent, and gives you the the number of scenes you would get in return. Like, is that locked in, or can there be no. variations? Yeah, so I think I think um, maybe Liam just to clarify the question because uh, it, mm. like it's still a market order, right? Um, and it's a market order that's subject to the like you know, whatever the function returns uh, at the time of execution. So if you put something in uh, with a very low gas price, you could have a different uh, result in the sense that like the epoch might be over or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, right. I, think that's, I think that's what Daniel's asking is like, yeah. is it deterministic when you submit the transaction or is it when it's executed? Yeah. So it's when it's executed. Answer. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Liam. I mean, we. We've spoken about this and basically, yeah, like we should add in some sort of slippage bounds. Um, we have this in futures already. We haven't, we haven't exactly discussed like how we're going to implement this 
in syntax. It's sort of just been in feasibility so far. But if you were to implement it in the in the sort of exchange functionality, yeah, you would need to add like sort of slippage parameters. In futures, we already have that there. So, yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, that was contemplated in, in the B2X scope, and then I believe was descoped. But I think if simulated liquidity uh, comes in, the risk, you know, at the moment, right now, every single order in synthetics in the spot market is uh, effectively a market order, right? And you just hope mm -hmm. uh, that the price doesn't move against you too much. Um, and you know that there's going to be like a six minute window, at least on L1 with fear reclamation or three minute window on, on L1, uh, where, you know, there's going to be some variability uh, to the execution price and you have literally no control over it. Um, it's, you know, something that I guess we've all kind of come to terms with, but it's like horrendously bad UX. Um, and so I think that uh, if we were to, um, to implement this, what it means is that for a user, um, the actions of other uh, traders in the same block or around the same block significantly impact their execution price. Um, and so I think it would, it would basically push us to a point where it was just not feasible to not have some kind of uh, you know, slippage rejection or, or you know, um, be able to like set a, an execution price uh, range that you're you know, willing to accept. Uh, because if someone turns up and you know YOLO is a ten million dollar order before your hundred dollar order and it gets executed uh, you know ahead of it in the same block, uh, you're not gonna have a good time. Sorry, if if were you responding to that, I couldn't tell if that was just. Background oh noise. no! Uh, are there? I, I mean, Daniel, does that answer your question? Yeah, uh, as much as possible, I guess, without <laughs> seeing it live, right? So. Yeah. Are there um, any other questions? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yes, there are. Um, so I'm going to put my. Uh, I'm going to take off my mechanism design, you know, pseudo CC hat for a second, and and. Put my pure spawning council uh, hat on, um, and coming out of our conversation uh, before about you know our positions on the council and, and and what we sort of stand for and why. One of the things that I've advocated for uh, very aggressively historically has been uh, stakers absorbing the risk of trading to try and optimize the the trading UX um, to as high an extent as possible. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously led to front running, you know, uh, running rampant and all kinds of uh, issues. Um, while I think that this is a very elegant mechanism for solving this problem, I think it we really should explicitly call out so that all token holders understand the implications of this. What this means is that, yes, we are attempting to more closely align to what the market is doing. Right. Um, and therefore, this is kind of an anti front running measure in the sense that, um, you know, our execution will be much more similar to what you would get, you know, if you were to trade on another venue. Um, but it does undermine the value prop that, you know, we've kind of had for a very long time, which is infinite liquidity. So, so long as we're all willing to kind of capitulate and accept that infinite liquidity is a dumb thing that we need to water down in some form, and we've done it in various ways. You know, uh, fear reclamation is one way. Um, this is maybe a, a better approach. Um, but I think that this, if we do implement it, is kind of the nail in the coffin for our ability to sort of say you get you know infinite liquidity at uh, the prevailing rate. Um, and I just want to call that out. That you know, that significantly changes the, the sort of user experience, I guess, for a trader, um, particularly large traders, um, and does kind of watered down the value prop. And I want everyone to be really aware of that and, and all of the, the SNX uh, holders to be very aware of that, um, that you know, if you are no longer willing to kind of bear the risk of front running and Oracle latency and all that sort of stuff, and you want uh, a solution that 
is comprehensive, this is likely it, and it's the best solution that I've seen to date. Um, but it does significantly change the properties of the protocol in, in terms of execution price for traders. Yeah, that's definitely true. So I guess if anybody has any concerns about that now is the, is the time to voice them. Uh, although it, I, I think it does, I mean, it does preserve, I know you're not you know, ignoring these facts and you're just speaking on behalf of the council and the community, but I think this does preserve all the things as much of what people like about synthetics as we reasonably can. And, you know, we could always, we'll, we'll set the liquidity constants as high as we can so that people still get the liquidity that they like. Uh, this basically, I, I another way to frame it is just as having another lever to use to more precisely balance uh, how much risk stakers can reasonably absorb to provide the best experience for traders. So now if you will allow me, um, I'll take my Spartan Council hat off for a second and put the mechanism and hat back on. Um, I think you know, my, the way that I would frame this uh, to people who might be concerned about the shifting value prop is this is possibly the only way, um, certainly the only way that I've seen, um, the only viable way of really filtering out toxic flow in the sense of you know, people who are trying to, to take advantage of the protocol um, we know who some of them are, um, and, and trying to, uh, you know, really attack this latency, um, that toxic flow we want to filter out without impacting, uh, a, a sort of, uh, you know, average user ideally. Right. Um, and even if an average user is a whale and someone who wants to trade five, 10, 15, $20 million, um, this is kind of the only way to really filter them out um, and and reduce toxic flow uh, without um, you know severely impacting the UX for uh, a large trader. Um, so I think it does kind of, and I think the fact that there are parameters that allow us to tune it, and we can kind of you know fine tune those parameters to to get the right uh, balance between those two things. Um, but in terms of filtering out toxic flow, I don't think there's uh, a sort of more viable proposal that we've seen over the last few years. I, I'd like to argue that the infinite liquidity was kind of already broken with the fee reclamation. I, I think this bits fee reclamation by far, so at least you know in advance what you get, whereas with fee reclamation you can still so it's it's not infinite liquidity, it's infinite liquidity minus what you get rocked by reclamation, which is totally <laughs> so, yeah, fair enough. I I definitely prefer, yeah, it's a it's a no-brainer no for me. Likewise, here and maybe one additional way of positioning it is just this is instead of infinite infinite liquidity, it's just best execution, and I think that we can fine tune the parameters to the point where this is going to have the best execution for liquidity across all the different opportunities for trading. Agreed. Sorry, I, know I was late, so maybe this was covered already. But have, have we looked into like the MEV um, aspects to this? Um, I mean, outside of slippage protection, um, I, I don't know what other MEV vectors there would be. Um, well, I, under I understand that there is slippage protection added in. I just, I guess I just want to understand, like, so someone can, someone can potentially do like a Uniswap style sandwich in this paradigm or no? We don't think so. Um, so Fifth and I talked about this quite a bit and it, it doesn't, uh, I mean, you know, reality has a way of kind of disabusing of uh, these theoretical lacks of attacks, I think, um, you know, in an adversarial environment, but I don't think there's a way uh, for, uh, so, sorry, I, what I should say is there actually is an MEV attack here, I think, um, which would be uh, the protocol itself somehow uh, like front running all of the orders to push the price up. Um, so if, if the protocol were to be doing that and incurring the costs, uh, that would be increasing the cost for everyone. 
Um, so that would be like a, a theoretical attack on traders, um, but it uh, resolves to basically the exact same thing as just having uh, more aggressive liquidity parameters. So it kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes sense in the sense that you trick people into uh, thinking that they're going to get better execution and then you push the price up so they get worse execution without realizing it. Um, and that is definitely an attack. It's just not an attack that's profitable that we can see for anyone other than at the protocol level. Okay, I think that makes sense. Um, I guess just the, the other question I have left with me is, for people that are integrating synthetics, is there like hidden assumptions that they have that there will never be slippage and we'll have great things? Because I'm just thinking like in terms of de-hedge and buy-buy kind of thing. So, yeah, I actually, I, I talked to Mike from Lara about this. And I think they would probably be the most sensitive to something like this because options market making is like super low margin, you know, balanced endeavor. And he, he said there wouldn't be any 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 real issues on their end. Um, and it wouldn't require a ton of refactoring either. And if this also kind of helps us bring base fees down for the rest of the time. And so I think that's a net positive for everyone for all the other times, you know, where you can get 20 basis point instead of 40 basis point fees. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure we had checked. Yeah, we'll definitely people. call it out to everyone who, who would be affected um, once it's approved and we start implementation. Because I'm just also worried, like, it could introduce some other bugs into things that, like, things that were built with the assumption that there would never be a slippage risk, never a risk of, like, a terrible execution from someone doing some kind of flash phone stuff. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. I think... Um, Anyone who's integrating synthetics uh, right now with fear reclamation is subject to arguably higher risk, right? Uh, because there is no way for you to determine what your execution price is going to be. Um, like if there was an, you know, I mean, the, the one protection, I guess, is like uh, the circuit breaker. Uh, but circuit breaker notwithstanding, you could easily have a tick within six minutes that moves the price, you know, 20% or something like that, and that's what you'll get executed on. Um, so anyone integrating synthetics is already kind of accepting that on L1. Um, I think this probably improves it. And I think if, as Liam was saying, we integrate uh, the ability for you to you know, put some slippery protection around what your expected fill is, uh, then I think that makes it even better. Uh, because outside of that, really you should be having to kind of implement your own version of some kind of slippage protection at the contract level and i think even andre has talked about this for some of the integrations he's done because you can't trust the fill that you're going to get um so i think having the ability to kind of specify a price range that you're willing to accept or, or you know a percentage range that you're willing to accept uh is going to be a significant improvement for integrators and i think it's actually one of the things that probably impacted integrations is the fact that a you've got the reclamation and b it's kind of non-deterministic in terms of what the output can be yeah i mean i agree that fiat reclamation is also a bad ux but i do think that like there's some different sort of risks because the reclamation i mean sort of by definition the sense we list are hard to manipulate hopefully so like someone that's attacking a system integrating synthetics won't necessarily be able to control the price of Ethereum on chain link in six minutes. But they might be able to, you know, screw around with this, this slippage mechanism. So I think you've answered my questions sufficiently to where I'm not too concerned about that since the integrator can just include a slippage protection parameter and we're not I mean I think I think if we do I think if we have that um then I think that that sort of solves the problem um but I do take your point for past integrations um although I think it, once this is implemented in fear reclamation 
is potentially removed, assuming it is, uh, anyone who's integrated would really need to look at that integration pretty deeply um, and and just you know validate that their assumptions are. So I think there's going to be a communication process here to uh, let people know. Um, and in fact, it may be like a, a different exchange function. Um, and then we eventually deprecate the old exchange function to protect people from uh, you know, having a, a, an integration that they've forgotten about or whatever that has some weird assumptions that are no longer valid. Um, so I think that there's some implementation detail around that that we need to do with feasibility. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, any other questions? But I, 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 if I can just make one final point, like this is probably the biggest change to the protocol uh, that we've made, maybe ever, in terms of like the the trajectory um, that that we go down. Um, I believe it's necessary, and and I like in the current state, I think that my my vote would be uh, positive. But I really would urge the community, if there are concerns, put pressure on your council member slash members um to make sure that you know this gets a, a very rigorous review and it may even be that as we you know go through the implementation that um you know a further uh presentation is required because i just think this is a, a huge change and the entire point of the council was to make sure that we really deeply interrogated changes like this um that could have unintended consequences or, or implications um and so i think we need to err on the side of uh really like rigorously interrogating it and, and you know, putting it through as much uh, screening as possible. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, uh, I'm open to having any more discussions if we want to just have any more discussions around it during implementation with the community and give people an opportunity to, to voice any concerns they have about it. I'm hopeful that by the time this is ready for implementation, the risk committee um, is passed and is formed. Uh, and that we'll be able to get the risk committee to review it. That's that's kind of my hope. I think that that's the the other uh, sort of parallel uh, process that I'd like to. I think before this is implemented, I'd like to be confident that we can get the risk committee up and running. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I guess if there's no more questions, um, David, we can pass it to, to cool. Rapper Factory. All right, thanks, Afif. Um, so uh, next up, we're going to have Daniel and Mark present SIP 182, which is for the Rapper Factory. Uh, let me go ahead and repost the link in the GovCall chat channel. Let's see here. All right, so the floor is yours, Daniel and Mark. Cool. And you mean DB, not Daniel, Daniel. Oh, yep, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just clarify. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was a SIP-182, the wrapper factory. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty much, um, you know, the purpose of this basically was like, you know, after deploying like the ether wrapper and then the link wrapper and then, you know, every other token that in the future that would want to be deployed, we thought about just making a uh, wrapper factory contract or just like an abstract wrapper contract that can deploy new wrappers for each token that we'd want to have a wrapper for in the future. And that can be um, decided on by SCCP rather than having a new SIP and a new, you know, individual wrapper contract for every single token. So that was kind of the, um, the motivation for this. And uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So the wrapper factory just basically, it's pretty much the same functionality as the ether wrapper, just changing the nomenclature from ether to more of an abstract um, abstract contracts. And then, you know, you would pass uh, the currency key and the contract address, and you'd be able to, you know, basically deploy a wrapper contract for each one of those um, tokens. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much it. Um, pretty simple. Um, behaves exactly like the ether wrapper, so 
if there's any questions, the floor is yours. I think the only thing I'd like to add is uh, that uh, there's there's like a wrapper factory contract which provides like a really just a function which takes in those parameters that Mark just mentioned, um, and then it just creates a totally new wrapper and wires it up with the system and does all of that automatically. Um, and a uh, couple other things that the uh, Spartan Council should be aware of is that there's a couple of small changes of behavior. One of them is that uh, the fees are stored as SUSD instead of the source token, such as SETH or whatever it is, uh, for the duration of the time from when the uh, mint or burn uh, within the wrapper happens to the distribute fees. Uh, so that's different from previous behavior. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the biggest thing. The second thing is it does imply a little bit of uh, uh, changes to the debt cash system. Uh, uh, which we inspected, and I think we have a good solution for at this point. Uh, but it does have some impact on that as well uh, in terms of potential gas usage. Yep, and uh... yep, go ahead. I was going to ask uh, just to be clear for new wrappers. You're saying they would come from SCCP and not SIP anymore? But, um, you know, that's what we can imagine happening. It's not like set in stone or anything, but um, could definitely, because it's really just uh, a currency key and a contract address. So it would just be a couple, like there's no new code that's deployed. It's just basically a, a copy of the wrapper contract with just those different parameters, you know, the, the specific token. Um, so it's, not technically like a code change um, when we deploy a new wrapper. So theoretically it could be SCCP, but that's you know up, up for everyone to decide. So would it, would it be just like the implementation, but the council might still want to approve like, hey, we're going to roll out a wrapper for this asset, right? Yeah, my thinking is that if we're adding a new asset, it should be SIP level. Just because like it's, very risky, obviously. But potentially a bunch of implications, like if a council wants to add USDC, then, you know, I think it would be good to have a little bit more oversight than just an SCCP. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Just, that was an idea throughout there. Um, but uh, yeah, instead of having to write like a separate contract specific to, you know, SUSD or uh, USDC, it would just, um, you just deploy new, new, uh, new contracts, spawn, spawn it out. But yeah, the SIP could be, you know, super simplified rather than making a whole nother uh, copy of a, another link wrapper, for example. Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes sense. I just, it's not mentioned in, in this SIP anywhere about the SCCP, so. It's not a big deal, but I just wanted to make sure that we're clear. Yeah, we'll probably clarify exactly uh, the conditions on which this create wrapper function would be executed in uh, once we've got that work confirmed a little more. How does the deprecation of, of current eat wrapper work since, since it's mentioned in the SIP? that the current eat and wrapped eat wrappers could be deprecated. Is that something that would be executed with this SIP and how would that be done? Yeah, the deprecation uh, wouldn't remove uh, or disable any of the functionality on the existing contract. Uh, we expect that the Spartan Council would choose to uh, set the parameters to encourage people to, uh, I guess, burn it, burn their SETH into, into ETH so that it kind of naturally drains ETH over time. And since we only have the Ether wrapper deployed on layer one, uh, it'll become less and less relevant over time.
So uh, I needed some time to process that. I'm, I'm not sure there there can be an incentive for people to, to burn. Well, I mean, we can so. prevent them from being incentivized to mint by increasing the fees uh, for minting, for example. Uh, but yeah, there's there's no particular incentive for people to burn. But, you know, it, people would just or, or in theory, people uh, people would supply SETH over time to convert it back into ETH. Uh, when it makes sense. And if you wanted to roll out a new ETH wrapper through this factory on L1, would those two kind of coexist with no effects on, on that? I mean, with everything working right as intended? Yeah, the ETH, uh, a new ETH wrapper deployed via this uh, mechanism would work as intended. There would just be two ETH wrappers, kind of the deprecated one and the one that's deployed by the wrapper factory. Yeah, and, and both would be reflected in the depth. Of yes. Them, right? yeah. And this works on L2, I guess that's what you were saying. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's important to note that there's no Ether wrapper on, e on L2. Uh, so we're hoping to deploy code that uh, avoids you know, adding any kind of reference to the Ether wrapper on L2 so we can keep it nice and clean and just have the wrapper factory. That makes sense. Thanks. Is it possible to set the uh, burn fee to a negative value on the current Ether wrapper? Because I think that's been referenced a few times. And I couldn't remember if that's a thing we can do. Yeah, based on the fact that the value being stored is a uint, uh, it would not be possible. Okay, so the best we can do is set it to zero. Yeah. Uh, certainly, that would be the case for the Ether wrapper, but uh, if we want to make an amendment to try and add that functionality to the new wrapper factory, uh, that can be inspected. I don't think we would need it for the new wrapper factory unless we. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's. Maybe it's something we want just in case we end up with like a ton of ETH compared to the value of SNX collateral. It might be a good way to make sure we can unwind it potentially. Um, I don't know if anyone else from the council has thoughts on that, but. Yeah, hopefully we wouldn't need something like that again, but, you know, it's better to have it not not need it, I, I guess. Could go either way. Okay, well, it's, it's not a big deal either way. What was the issue yeah. break? To, to start with, could you explain it briefly? Can you uh, say that again? I didn't hear it. Uh, Sprig, uh, can you explain briefly what was the issue that we're seeing here and why do we need such a mechanism? If we have a bunch of ETH in the wrapper contract and we want to get rid of it, and the peg is not necessarily like below one, then we don't have a great way to do it in the current parameterization. Because potentially what you'd like to do is say, okay, we're just gonna take the, you know, zero point basis point loss and set it to, set it to say- Just pay, just pay people to unwind, right? pay people to unwind, yeah. Yeah, yeah pay yeah. people to unwind. It's not possible from what I understand. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not no, possible it's not in possible. the current implementation. Um, I mean, feels like there would be some way to incentivize that. To like, throw, I know you're not going to love this, but to like throw some burr at it, where like if you unwind it, I just don't know if that, like, if you change the the fee uh, to wrap to be super high, so that people didn't arb it back, and then 
effectively paid people to like put you know assets into a pool uh, that then could be unwound. That could be that could be a way to do it to unwind it. Like you put SNX in there and you get paid SNX on top of whatever the output is. So there could be some ways that we could incentivize it potentially, but they'd be pretty hacky. Yeah. So maybe. I don't know, maybe it's good to just have that lever just in case it's needed at some future date. Because there, there is the possibility that we end up with just like a lot of ETH collateral relative to the amount of SNX collateral. You know, let's say SNX goes down a lot, doesn't. Then you could end up with a situation where you set the ETH wrapper cap at a certain amount of leverage to the SNX stakers. And then, you know, six months later, now it's way more leveraged and you need to get rid of it. And maybe you need to get rid of it quickly. So. Would you be able to just put more, like let's say more actual ETH in, in there and have like a reward incentive parameter that they get a, even a bit more than what they're paying for above the peg? I, I can see something like that. Like, yeah, you could probably make more. like another contract that just like gave out extra to people that burned. That's yeah, that's what I'm. Here. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you just you just watch those emitted events and and pay out some kind of incremental reward on top of it. It's ugly as fuck. Like, I don't love it, but if we were really trying to unwind it and we couldn't find out any other way, that could be. A Well, I don't think we have to with this contract, at least in the current state, but in the, the few contracts, maybe we want to give ourselves some more elegance. So that does bring up a bit of a question, I guess I have for the council, because uh, one of the things that we've been able to do with the new wrapper factory and wrapper contract is uh, enable the option for upgradability. Uh, but we haven't added any formal functions to be able to do that. So would the council be interested in having an, like an upgrade function that can be used to take an existing wrapper and basically send all of its collateral to a new upgraded contract? My opinion is no. I think that it's sort of like a commitment to the traders and the synth holders and the people that aren't necessarily involved in SNX itself. Um, we're sort of like we're minting a whole bunch of new coins and we're saying that they're going to be able to redeem them. And then for SNX governance to have rug pull power. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. I don't it's, love it it sort of exists already, obviously, um, which is not ideal. But I think that you know, the potential for it to be used like semi-maliciously is not ideal. So I would prefer to keep that non-upgrade. Yep, that makes sense. Sorry, I know I'm not on the council, but I guess just like, a, doesn't the negative fee, uh, the negative, you know, burn fee kind of have a similar property where governance could just set the negative burn fee like really high and then rug the whole contract? The positive burn fee, right? Yeah, right. Where, yeah, where you get, where you get, yeah, whatever. Where, where, where you get incentivized to burn. Yeah, sure. I mean, but we don't get the ETH. I mean, I mean the protocol. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying it seems like a similar. It seems like a similar threat vector, whereas well, like it's that, it's similar in that like we could lock away the ETH, but it's not similar in that we can't seal the ETH. Like we couldn't pass a vote that says like, we're gonna take all the ETH out of the wrapper contract and distribute it all to SNX stakers. Obviously right. we wouldn't do that, but like that that's sort of the, the, the risk there is like. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I can't Whereas quite see the incentive for us to just like make the, make the ether wrapper just like unredeemable and just leave the ETH in there forever. It doesn't really matter, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't think. Right. I mean, that's kind of the situation it's in now, 
right? Like, unless we go below the peg. Well, yeah, but I mean, as soon as we go below the peg, which I imagine would happen at some point, then it'll just get burned. So mm -hmm. I wonder, I wonder whether, and I mean, this is very, possibly dumb idea because I'm just speaking out loud, but um, I do wonder whether if for some reason we did want to incentivize uh, this, you know, unwinding, right? And did, and it was an immutable contract and, you know, we wanted to do it in some other way. One way we talked about was like, you know, paying people to burn and like have some other contract that's monitoring it. Um, but I think there would also be the possibility of uh, kind of pushing at like minting more SUSD and, and pushing it out into the market somehow, like by the protocol um, and like selling it into other synths or something like that. Like you could actually, I mean, this is, it's a terrible idea, but it would actually have the same impact without needing to like set up this weird convoluted contract to incentivize people to burn. You could just keep pushing SUSD out into the market until it pushes the price you know, below the peg sufficiently that people, you know, unwind this, uh, this, the heat wrapper, and then you could shut it down. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that as well. Like, if if you just made like another wrapper, like an SE, it just keeps. Yeah, exactly. That, it just keeps pushing out more supply and, and unwinds it. It feels. Yeah, I don't love it either. And there's not a lot of great solutions here. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, luckily, I don't think we really need it at the moment. So I think we just, <clears throat> we just live. I mean, we. Hers. Yeah, I think. Agreed. I think if we just, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, at some point we will probably be in a situation where, you know, there is sufficient uh, collateral value, I guess, from other things that maybe it'll it'll push the peg back down and, and we'll have a little bit of an oversupply and it'll slowly get chipped away at. But yeah, I, I agree. It's not a critical issue at the moment. I think we have one more uh, Thing to present right don't we so we should probably wrap this up i don't think there's any huge objections here oh we should wrap it up okay yeah sorry pun absolutely not intended. <laughs> yeah cool um so should we move on to quinta there's two sips for quinta that we wanted to present yeah, Any, anyone else now. cool i'll post yeah, the so uh the two links in the gov call chat Quenta, we have two SIPs, 177 and 178. They both follow a similar structure, so I'll kind of just talk about the main mechanism in which we're going to uh, do both of them. Um, but the point of the two uh, proposals are to set up an interim council um, where uh, Quenta improvement proposals can be uh, given to this council, and they can basically vote on the decisions that will either um, pass or fail uh, given proposals. Um, and then the other side, the second SIP, is for an um, interim treasury DAO which will manage um, any early funding we get from community raises or uh, treasury that we receive from um, the launch of the initial token. Um, so yeah, to launch these two uh, councils, um, we're going to try a slightly different mechanism than what's been done with uh, Thales, for example. Um, what we're going to do is have two open ballot boxes um, so that anyone from the community can come and put their name down and a couple lines about like, you know, why they're a good fit for um, the role. Um, and then we'll basically have a collection of all these lists of people that applied for the two different councils. Um, people can apply for both councils. There's no rules. You can just basically, you know, apply for both if you think you're a fit for both um, and move forward. Once we have a collection, which will be open for a period of one week, um, we'll give the uh, list to the Spartan Council. And the Spartan Council will be able to signal five um, interim council members uh, that they each individually feel are a good fit. Um, and three Treasury DAO members that they each individually feel are a good fit um, from these lists. And whichever individuals on these two lists ends up with the most cumulative signaling from the Spartan Council will be uh, inducted in as the uh, interim council members and the interim Treasury DAO members. In the event that there is a tie, like for example, that uh, the final role for the interim council um, is you know, just neck and neck with signaling, uh, there would be uh, an additional person in the council. We'll just add the two people in to simplify things. Um, so that would leave a total of six people in the uh, interim council, for example. Uh, for the Treasury DAO, that does not apply. In the end, ultimately, the Spartan Council will have to come to a consensus on which three people they feel are uh, best. 
Um, that's just because it's a slightly more sensitive uh, role, given that there's only three members and it's for a treasury. Um, but yeah, those are the two mechanisms in which uh, they will um, be done. And then finally, once those are passed and the uh, Spartan Council reaches consensus on the five council members and the three treasury down members, the vote would go through um, and that would signal that yes, consensus was reached and the interim councils will now be set up. I think that's everything. Any questions? Just one quick question for me. Um, I, I know we talked about like experimentation, et cetera. Um, can you maybe just explain um, the sort of high level rationale um, around electing the, uh, the Quinta Council this way, or the Elite Council, I should say, sorry, this way, um, versus uh, some of the other methods we've seen? Yeah, so since we have uh, a front end essentially, like currently in its current state and what's going to continue to be the current state until more development happens, um, Quenta is essentially a front end for synthetics. It makes sense for the Spartan Council, who are the people elected from the community, to select the people that they feel are the best fit to make the decisions about how the protocol should be formed, um, in a sense aligning the two protocols together quite closely. Um, whereas there is some additional variability with the uh, Token, open token voting model. Um, I'm not saying that either is more legitimate than the other. In fact, this is just, you know, in some degree, an experiment to see if uh, it's a good fit. However, it does more closely align the um, incentives of the synthetics protocol with Quenta, I think, than uh, another protocol that might be spinning out. Thanks. That's very helpful. There is also one other benefit to consider here, and I think this might actually be um, some good precedent to set, is that the Treasury DAO, for example, I'm um, included in the SIP, and I, I did miss this little detail. The people who are selected by the Treasury DAO, the, or by the Spartan Council for the Treasury DAO, the three members, their names and identities will not be revealed um, for security reasons. Um, and I think that's a big benefit that comes from this model as well, since we're internalizing the decision making. Um, it is still, you know, a process handled by the community elected people, and it's still, you know, something that is properly done, but has the added benefit of allowing for anonymity in a system. Um, while still having trusted members uh, act in a governing body. So it's a nice mix of uh, both um, solutions. If I'm not mistaken, I think we actually changed the Treasury Council. Uh, oh, sorry, are you referring, you're referring to the Treasury DAO. Which Treasury Council are you referring to? Sorry, this is the Quinta Treasury DAO that we're referring the to. Yeah, Quinta. Okay. You should probably yeah, start saying yeah. SDAO and KDAO, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the SDAO is not even a thing anymore. So I guess it's like Synthetics Treasury Council and Quinta Treasury DAO or whatever. But yeah, sorry, that makes sense. From an OPSEC perspective, I, I get that. And we did consider that uh, when we were writing the Treasury Council SIP. And then I think we made a call that we were okay uh, with the OPSEC uh, and, and having those people be disclosed. And I think in the future for the final state of the Treasury DAO for Quenta, like it could totally be just by token holders. Um, but I think it's good to try this out for now. Um, and then we can potentially have the community vote in a different model should they feel that would be favorable um, in a more uh, open manner with the Quenta token. Maybe clarify this, this, but but why an internal process? Why not use snapshot where only council members can vote? Because you can do like multi-choice votes there. Um, I think I've just covered that. So maybe what specifically about it doesn't seem like it's. I think you talked favorable. about the treasury, but why why about the the council? Like I. I I'm not sure how exactly it would play out, but like writing a message where I write five candidates, which I can edit afterwards, doesn't really strike me, you know, in the spirit of what we are doing here in, in synthetics with snapshot and NFTs and voting powers. Yeah, I understand. Like ultimately, you are community elected individuals, though, right? So I mean, these 
the community has essentially said that these are the people who are the best fit to be making decisions about the protocol in general. Um, so I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that, you know, through deliberation or however the process gets done, decisions can be made by the council. And I think this is just uh, an implementation of that, showing that they can, you know, have alternative formats in which a decision can be made than binary uh, yes or no votes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the platform that will be used for the elections. So where the Spartan Council will, will be submitting their ballots, you know, for the five members they choose. I'm just asking why you why call it an internal process, which I'm not sure what what it implies, like a Discord private channel, or why not instead set up a proper snapshot site where you know the candidates are listed and every council member can choose five candidates, which is you know on IPFS transparent, in line with what we are doing. I think for the treasury doubt it would be for anonymity, but for the general counsel, I don't see why not. I mean, when we were discussing the implementation, uh, and I was I was kind of talking through it with the with the Quinta um, core contributors. I guess it was more about overhead than anything. Um, you know, like it's it's just an interim council. Uh, I think we can reasonably expect that we can trust the the Spartan Council to. Uh, follow the process. Um, I mean, snapshot is not enforceable on chain. Like, let's not delude ourselves, right? Like, it's just a thing that we then say, okay, we're going to do this thing, right? Like, yes, I get that it's immutable and you can see what happened, but it's not like it, you know, forces anyone to actually do anything. Um, so uh, I don't think it's a, maybe worth the effort, um, in my view, to uh, to create, um, you know, a, a, what would be a fairly um, a fairly novel snapshot uh, instance for this specific vote to do it once and then to change it later. That's my view. I don't think it's worth the effort. Yeah, I guess it is extra effort. Well, the, the point is more about transparency, so at least I think it should be public. Because the, the nominations are public, right? So. Why wouldn't everyone see which five candidates a Spartan member, a council member has chosen? Yeah, I don't, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't have any objections to that. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any issues with it. Like, honestly, like when I, when I thought up that idea, it was just like a, a simple way of, uh, having a small group of people create like you know some kind of preferential voting system um it wasn't it wasn't like deeply thought out it was really just to try and put something in place that we thought was going to be uh, a reasonable representation um of the sx token holders uh in terms of the the composition of the council the interim council so uh, i yeah it was somewhat arbitrary i guess is what i'm saying uh, but i think that the outcome will be uh, fairly similar, regardless of what the voting mechanism you use is or the platform. Uh, but I, I accept your point that making sure it's transparent is probably important. Yeah, I just say that, like, you know, synthetic Spartan council members are like trusted members of the community to like make decisions. So I don't think there's any like, you know, lack of uh, trust. Yeah. But yeah, they're trusted to be made decisions in a transparent way. So <laughs> whatever, whatever I do, yeah, whatever I do should reflect in, in the next epoch I run. So based on my choices, people should be able to decide whether I I deserve to be reelected or not. So that's the whole gist to it. Uh, do you have a suggestion as to what uh, like what the best way of doing this is? Like, I mean, do we go back to like Discord emojis? I, like, and I'm not even kidding. I actually thought of that, but the Discord emojis becomes problematic because I couldn't even think of a, a simple way of like you expressing your preferences in the form of Discord emojis and then aggregating them across eight people. Um, so I figured, you know, like a spreadsheet or something like that might you can be the simplest way, but maybe it can just be a public spreadsheet. We, we maybe, have like we can we could publish the results of the vote or something like that. Like in like in the event it's a spreadsheet, right? Like we could just make that public you know what i mean like i don't think that needs to be hidden 
or anything, just like maybe for simplicity, we'll just like have it, you know, viewable or something like that by the community. Yeah, I think I'd like to, to also depict the process that gets us to the result in the sheet. So we, we have the, the council chambers when, where only council members should be able to vote. And I guess we can all just write the five members there. So it's open to read to everyone, but only council members can write in it. Fair enough. And then we aggregate it. OK, that makes yep. sense. Yeah, that works. If there's no further objections, then I'll uh, basically launch the ballot boxes potentially tomorrow. And then by next week, I should be able to come back to you guys with uh, a list of candidates and go from there. Tomorrow Monday, depending on any discussions that come. Cool. Anyone have anything else? All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for attending. Um, appreciate your time. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.